every month, and you know that at the last Sunday in the month I do a talk on this month in prophecy, and we're going to have a look at this subject tonight, looking at some of the things taking place in the world around us, and also looking at them in the light of the Bible and the prophecies of Scripture. So let's just have a word of prayer, and Lord, we thank you that we can come to you in the name of Jesus, pray that you bless us and guide us by your Holy Spirit into all truth. We thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus coming again. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So I'm going to uh, look at some of the things going on in the world today. We've got a brief headline here, Conspiracy, Chaos and Control. Uh, three aspects of the modern world which are moving upon us, and we'll see where it's leading to. Uh, every day I have a Bible reading from the Old Testament and the New Testament. My reading from yesterday was Psalm 74, and as it was Holocaust Memorial Day, I just thought the last few verses were particularly appropriate. Psalm 74, I'm reading from verse 18. It says, Remember how the enemy has mocked you, O Lord, how foolish people have reviled your name. Do not hand the life of your dove to the wild beasts. Do not forget the lives of your afflicted people forever. Have regard for your covenant, because the haunts of violence fill the dark places of the earth. Do not let the oppressed retreat in disgrace. May the poor and needy praise your name. Rise up, O God, and defend your cause. Remember how fools mock you all day long. Do not ignore the clamor of your adversaries, the uproar of your enemies, which rise continually. It's interesting that the word about the haunts of violence there. Uh, I think it's very appropriate when you think about Holocaust Memorial Day, just what haunts of violence there were and the worst genocide in history that filled the dark places and a deliberate systematic examination of the Jewish people in Europe. It's a unique event which should never be forgotten. And it testifies to both the wickedness of humanity and also the truth of God to bring his people through and to survive. I'm Israel High. People of Israel were not destroyed. They continued, went on to create the state of Israel and all of the things which have followed. And as many said, never again. And yet today we see how those have risen up, again with the intention to wipe out the Jewish people, to destroy the state of Israel. Events which took place on October the 7th, the worst massacre of Jews since the Holocaust. The psalm calls us to remember those who have risen up against God and to pray for God to remember his cause and not forget the lives of his afflicted people, the Jewish people. Well, that's not our main theme tonight. We should take a moment just to remember those who've been killed in the Holocaust, those who were killed, raped and captured in the latest atrocity by Hamas and who truly inhabit the haunts of violence, as it says in this psalm. Just a little aside, the word which is used for violence there, haunts of violence, fill the dark place of the earth. The Hebrew word is Hamas. Let's just have a moment, be quiet, and just remember those who've gone before and to pray, Lord, for the peace of Jerusalem. Lord, we do remember with great sorrow the events which have taken place in this continent in the Nazi Holocaust and the six million Jewish people who were killed because of their Jewish identity 
the worst genocide in history. And Lord, we do pray for those who are still scarred by that memory. And we pray, Lord, that this will be remembered. And indeed, we would like to pray never again. And we would pray against those who would come to kill and to maim and to destroy your people Israel. And we pray for the peace of Israel and peace of Jerusalem and the peace of the Jewish people around the world and for their protection. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, the theme of violence is very much on my mind as I was thinking about what's happening in the world today. Um, if you look at Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 6, sorry, uh, we have the story of Noah and the ark, probably one of the best-known stories in the Bible. But it tells us how an event was, took place, really took place in history. It's not just a, a made-up story. It's an event which took place, and we have evidence for the existence of a worldwide flood. And it's an event which testifies to the power of God to save his people as well. In Genesis chapter 5, we see at Genesis 6 verse 5, it says, Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The earth also was corrupt before God. And the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And we read how God told Noah to make an ark uh, in order to save the people. Uh, says, God said to Noah, verse 13, The end of all flesh has come to perform me. The earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the ark, with the earth, Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and outside with pitch. So Noah found grace and he found a place to go into to be saved, a place which we call the ark. It's interesting that God gave instructions to Noah on how to build the ark, uh, the dimensions of it, to cover it with pitch, and Noah followed those instructions exactly. What would have happened if he'd made a few adjustments and thought, well, I can do a bit better than this, make it slightly different? probably the ark would have sunk because they found out now that God gave exactly the right dimensions uh, for a large boat which didn't have to get from A to B in a fast place. It just had to stay afloat. had to stay afloat in turbulent uh, water. And the, ark, the dimensions of the ark were exactly right and it was covered with pitch uh, which implies some kind of covering both physical and also spiritual. The word actually is kafar which speaks about spiritual covering. So God covered it and God protected it and God made it a place of refuge. And the remarkable fact is that the ark is a picture, if you like, of our salvation. Uh, Jesus said it would be as in the days of Noah, in the days of his second coming. And we see that today we have a place where we can go to to be safe through faith in Jesus. We could say, well, I could think of a better place to deal or I could think of another way to be saved. Well, you could go to that other place, but you won't be saved. Uh, you'll drown, just like the uh, people who looked for their own salvation in the days of Noah. We have to do what God tells us, and the way in which God tells us to be saved is to go into the ark of salvation in faith in, faith in Jesus the Messiah. It says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He found grace so that he could be saved from the wrath of God, which was coming upon the world because of the wickedness of humanity. 
Grace means the undeserved favour which come to those who repent of sin and believe and enter into the ark of salvation. And there's good news. I'm going to give you quite a bit of bad news tonight. So I just want to tell you there's some good news. If you believe in Jesus, that's that you are safe in the Messiah. You've got a place where you can go. So no matter what turbulence there is outside, no matter what's happening in the dark places of the earth, which we've read about, there's a place where you can go to to be safe in Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. So don't be dismayed. Jesus goes on to speak about the, yeah, Matthew 24. Jesus speaks about the conditions at the end of his, the age. He was asked the question, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age by the disciples? He said a number of things. If you look through Matthew 24, you can see it actually works, as it were, in three phases. Um, first phase, he says, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled. All these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. So these things happening, you, when you see these things happening, it's the beginning of the time of sorrows. Uh, it's going to develop. The next thing which happens, he speaks about the events which will take place in the time of what we call the Great Tribulation. Verse 21, he says, Then there'll be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. So he's telling us that there will be a time of great trouble on the face of the earth, uh, which if it carried on to its logical conclusion could bring an end to life on earth. No flesh would be saved means that no life, no human life would be saved, but for the elect's sake, God will shorten those days, so those days will be shortened. They'll be shortened by the second coming of Jesus Christ to the earth. And the third phase is verse 29, where it says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. One of the reasons we can have great hope is because that's the Second coming of Jesus, this time not to come as a suffering servant, but this coming this time as the King of kings and Lord of lords, with all the power of God at his disposal to put an end to the powers of darkness and to the wickedness of the world. And just as in the days of Noah, uh, God brought an end to the world system of that time, which was in rebellion against him, so at the second coming of Jesus, he was going to bring an end to the Antichrist world system, which is in rebellion against God and he's going to set up a new system, a new world order, a good new world order, in which Jesus the Messiah is going to reign for a thousand years from Jerusalem. So if you're a believer in Jesus, although there's some bad news in that passage, there's also some very good news. And the good news is all tied up in the person of Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. I think we are in the stage one of that passage. We are in the time of wars and rumors of wars, of nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, Famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places, they're happening now. And Jesus says this is the beginning of the sorrows. It's the beginning of the period which is going to lead up to the time of tribulation, which will lead up then to the second coming of Jesus. Tribulation period, according to Revelation, will last for seven years and will be brought to an end when Jesus returns. One of the questions I want to ask is, all this happening by accident or design? Is it just a random process or is there a power working behind it? Certainly you could say that there are satanic powers who are at work 
and there are satanic powers who are using certain human agencies working through to bring all this to pass. Also, God is in control. So Satan has his fling, but God is more powerful than he is. And God is actually restraining Satan from doing the worst things that he can do in order that he might bring this to the conclusion, which would be the good conclusion of Jesus returning. So we have another question. Is there something which we call a new world order? Is there something, is there a program to try and change our society, to bring in a new world order? A new world order backed by two possible powers. One, the Western powers, United States, UK, EU, along the lines of the World Economic Forum, the Great Reset, and the UN Agenda 30. There's also an alternative uh, which has been proposed from Russia, from China, uh, from the BRICS alliance, which is opposed to the Western-based New World Order, if you like. So you've got these two powers coming together in the last days. So is there a conspiracy behind it? Is it humans working to bring this to pass? Other possibilities is spiraling towards chaos. Uh, the collapse of societies, east, west, south, north and south, with war, famine, economic collapse and mass death. It's a book which I read by Michael Snyder, which gives you some of the things which are taking place, which are pushing the world towards some kind of collapse, and you can see it happening now. Will one of these or both of them lead to the final Antichrist control system, which is revealed in Revelation 13? That's actually covered from this book, Marking the Masses, which is a very interesting book. It gives you some ways in which the world is being programmed, if you like, towards a globalist solution, which is being primed, it says, insight into how the world is being primed for the mark of the beast. I've only got one copy, so if you want it, you'll have to hurry. But you can get it from America. And probably I can get some more if I have a lot of people who want to get it. But it speaks about the beast being, Revelation speaks about the beast being given power by the devil over the whole world. He's against God and he's against his people. And he brings in persecution and an economic system in which you can't buy or sell, the famous mark of the beast, uh, which means that you can't par participate in society without it. So we have the question then, are we walking for world order, world disorder? If you interesting things we can bring out. Today we've got a world order which is dominated by certain powers. One level it certainly is dominated by the Western powers, the United States, the European Union, various allies which are working together, something called the World Economic Forum. You've heard of the World Economic Forum? Well, you probably have if you come to my talks. If you haven't, I'm telling you about it now. And you've got other agencies like the United Nations and other globalist organizations trying to bring the world together uh, ideally, they say, to sort out the problems of the world, to make the world a better place. Whether they will or not is something which we'll be looking at later on. You've also got an opposing world order project, uh, which Russia and China have put forward uh, with their BRICS alliance, which is Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. You've got various other allied countries like North Korea and Iran, Ideologically, these countries are dictatorships. <coughs> You've also got a third group which is looking to take over the world. That's the Muslims, the Islamists, who are looking for the destruction of Israel. Coming of who, one they call the Mahdi, a kind of Islamic Messiah figure, bringing in an end-time agenda. And their ideology is certainly Islamist. If you look at the ideology behind all of these different groups, 
they're actually all anti-Christian. Um, the Western liberal left democracies, they support using issues like climate change, COVID, pandemics, support the LGBT agenda. They would tell you they're working on a peaceful, equitable world order project under the United Nations, which would give them some kind of globalist control for the good of humanity. But when you follow it through, it does all involve a suppression of authentic Christianity. As far as Israel is concerned, the United States would certainly claim to be allied to Israel and is in some ways a defender of Israel. But also they're working on a program that will result in the demise of Israel if it's put into place, which is the two-state solution. A bit more on that perhaps later. Then you have Russia and China and Iran and North Korea. Uh, their aim is to bring on board a whole lot of developing countries. Um, they're openly dictatorial regimes, especially Russia and China and Iran and North Korea. Uh, they work on a dictatorship pro program and they're very much against Christianity. You look into it and they want to impose a kind of police state, China particularly able to use technology to impose a police state upon the people and control them and to extend their influence by war. The third group is the Muslim nations who are looking for, as I said, the destruction of Israel. Uh, they're responsible for wars and strife in the Middle East. I would say Israel is not responsible for the wars. They are the victims of the wars. We'll come on to that in a moment. They're also responsible for the great oppression, both political and spiritual, of the people under them. And their goal is the imposition of Islam worldwide. They want to see the end of Christianity, basically and to take over both the first and second world order projects and make them Islamic. So all of these are basically anti-Christian. So you've got different forces fighting against each other, but when you come to analyze them, there's an anti-Christian force behind them. Uh, which one will win? Well, you can speculate on that. I won't give you any answers, but uh, maybe a few possibilities. One thing I would say is that all of these pro projects are gonna fail. Though they'll do enormous damage to the world before they get to the point of failure, but God is going to have the last word. And in the midst of all this, God has his people who are going to stand firm against the Antichrist forces. Uh, he has his people living today in the Western-based situation like you and me. He has his people in Russia and China and in the Muslim area. Many of them will face persecution, already happening pretty solidly in Russia and China and in the Muslim area. There come a time when even us face persecution, even death for our faith. But the ultimate victory is going to be with Jesus. And they can have a temporary victory. I had a talk recently from Trevor Stuart Sweets talking on Psalm 37. Psalm 37 speaks about not fretting yourself because of evildoers. You see them building up this great tree which uh, is so threatening and then in the moment it's cut down and there's nothing left. And it tells you that the meek shall inherit the earth. So the true church of Jesus Christ is going to stand and it's going to grow as people recognize what's happening and how all this ties in with prophecy. And how the only place of safety actually and victory is in Jesus the Messiah. And we will have the victory. I want to make that sure that you understand that. Whatever's happening around us, Jesus is going to be victorious. And the powers of darkness have their day but they have their day in which they will be totally defeated. Now, one of the things which you notice when you study this subject is that they, whoever they are, uh, 
want to protect you from certain things which they say are a threat to the future of the human race. In the Western world, they make you, they're making use a lot of fear propaganda to make you afraid of what's coming so that you'll trust in their protection and ultimately submit to their control. I put four areas where you might see a fear factor. One is pandemic, COVID, disease X, which is what they're planning now. I guess you'll remember how you were made to be fearful in during the COVID time and to submit and to accept all kinds of restrictions on your lives. I think that was a kind of trial run for what they want to do later on. They want to make you terrified about climate change, so you're continually being told about the potential for the world to be fried up because of rising temperatures. Every time it gets very hot, they, it's always in the news. When it gets very cold, as it has currently in Russia and in the uh, United States and in Antarctica and in the Arctic, the ice is growing in the Arctic, they don't say anything about it. But whenever it's hot, you're going to be told that this is a sign that the world is heating up and that if it carries on for much longer, everybody is going to die because they won't be able to survive in this heated up world. It'll lead to environmental destruction. And of course, we have the threat of world war, which I'm going to speak about in a moment, and the threat of economic crisis and collapse, which is also very much on the agenda. The solution to all of these things, well, you've got the World Economic Forum pushing forward the World Health Organization with a pandemic treaty, with vaccines which they're working on, diseases which they don't even know that they exist yet, but they're disease X. So they're planning for the next disease and they're planning for the vaccine which is going to protect you. They've got plans for net zero for a new green deal, which ultimately are going to result in great, much greater control on your freedom to do all kinds of basic things. And you've got lots of global alliances like NATO on one side, Russia, China, BRICS alliance on the other side, which are going to offer to their people protection and hope if you just let them have their way. And you're going to push towards digital currencies, which I'll speak a little bit more about in a moment. Okay, so let's have a look at the war scenario. This is a picture which was taken actually out of the Sun newspaper by, believe it or not, uh, on the brink. New fronts of war open in the Middle East in, as the world faces the most dangerous moment in history. Russia, Ukraine, Iran, Middle East, North Korea, China, Taiwan, latest one, Iran, and Pakistan. If you look in the last couple of weeks, the newspaper headlines have been there in the Sun, in the Mail, the Express, the Telegraph, warning you about World War III. Um, British Defence Minister Grant Shapps warned that we're now in a pre-war world, Western powers should soon find themselves fighting China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea. Pentagon source warned we're on the brink of World War III amid surging conflict in the Middle East, sparked largely by Iran. Claims the current war in the Middle East could literally result in the end of Iran. Another one says a leaked German intelligence document suggests that Berlin expects Russia to launch another wave of attacks to overwhelm Ukraine and is scrambling to come up with contingency plans in the event that Russian troops march westward towards from Belarus. Uh, Russia's most prominent news anchor, a man called Vladimir Zoloyev, recently told his audience that our planet is moving towards World War III. In my opinion, it's already underway. By the way, Trump thinks so too. In fact, Trump pub publicly warned a crowd in Iowa last week that we're very close to World War III. Uh, so... This is not Tony Pierce saying this in 
some backwater of London. These are world leaders saying this and it being reported in newspapers all around the world. You've got an abundance of weapons, of missiles and drones, which is even making small-time groups like the Houthis in Yemen a major threat to world peace. And somewhere in the midst of all this comes the Jews and Israel. Israel is going to face increasing hostility from all of the different forces I've mentioned so far, especially the Islamic one. The Islamic one wants to wipe Israel off the map. There's going to be some people who are going to stand by Israel. Minority. Minority who will include, obviously, Jewish people and Israelis themselves, but also Christians who believe the Bible. Now, I believe that Israel's restoration is not an accident of history. I believe it's in the plan of God. I believe it's prophesied in the books of Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah. It's part of the, rest, the re rebudding of the fig tree, which Jesus spoke about the rebirth of Israel as a nation, something which we've seen happening in our time. It's a unique event which has taken place as the people have been scattered from their ancient land, lived in other people's countries, spoke different languages, suddenly return to their own country, to Israel, and speak the language of their forefathers, speak Hebrew. It's a unique event. It's never happened before to any other people. It's happened to the Jewish people. And you have to recognize that this is something which ultimately relates to God and to the Bible. And if you take the Bible literally, it's a sign in the Old Testament of the coming of the day of the Lord. In the New Testament, it's a sign of the coming of Yeshua, the Messiah, for the second time. Which makes it very significant. Now, it's clear from the scriptures that, that Israel will be reborn basically in unbelief. They won't be restored in great faith in God and certainly not in Jesus the Messiah but they'll come through a series of trials of difficulties which will bring them to faith in Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. Because of this, those who do believe in God and believe in Jesus should stand by Israel. Despite all the bad things which are happening in Gaza and so on, and you're going to see that it's going to become more difficult because the majority of people are going to say, well, Israel is doing some terrible things in Gaza, therefore we should turn against them. I just got an email today from somebody who gets my stuff. He says that uh, I've, made a, I've spoken up for Israel in my church and now I'm very unpopular and really I can't think that I can carry on with this. And a few people are nodding their heads and you think this is going to become increasingly a feature. Israel's going to be blamed for all that's going wrong. And during the time that's coming, those who believe the Bible are going to have to really stand firm and examine themselves. Um, now, most of those who do see the place of Israel, one has to say, are evangelical Christians who take the Bible literally, including the prophecies of the Messiah being fulfilled in Jesus and the end-time prophecies about Jesus' return. Now, you know, I have a, quite a lot of contacts with Jewish people, non-believing Jewish people in the Jewish community. What you find is that they are very pleased if we believe in the future for Israel and if we stand with Israel they're not so pleased if we say that it all has to some, do something to do with Jesus and that he's the Messiah but it does and actually we have to kind of weigh this sort of balanced line whereby we stand by Israel but we also believe that Yeshua Jesus is the answer we have to be both pro-Israel and pro-Yeshua as the Messiah of Israel 
Now, one has to say that currently Israel is in a very dangerous situation. Gaza war has the potential to spread into the region. We had this atrocious attack by Hamas, showing what Israel's enemies would do if, God forbid, they succeeded in their aim to eliminate Israel. Israel has responded with the legitimate aim of defending itself against those who seek its destruction, but in the process we've seen much death and destruction happening to Gaza, causing the world to turn against Israel. Now, it is terrible what's happening in Gaza, but ultimately the fault is with Hamas and its Iranian backers and its allies, including the Palestinian Authority. Uh, Israel did not want to go to war with its Arab neighbours. In fact, before this, Israel was actually hoping for a peace agreement with Saudi Arabia, with other Arab countries. One of the people think that possibly one of the reasons why Hamas launched this attack was to scupper that peace agreement. But basically, the problem lies with Hamas. Hamas is also against any kind of restoration of, particularly of temple worship in Jerusalem. Came across a very interesting uh, piece on the uh, Israel 365 website, which was uh, Hamas spokesman was speaking about the attack on Israel and mentioning it as the Al-Aqsa flood. That was the name they gave it. Al-Aqsa is the Arabic name for the uh, mosque, uh, the Silver Dome Mosque on the south end of the Temple Mount, where they believe Muhammad ascended to heaven on a, on a horse from. They call it this Al-Aqsa flood because they believe that Israel was making steps to try to re, 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 rebore, give rebirth to uh, temple worship. And this article actually referred to the fact that Israel had imported, or Israel had been sent, these red heifers from America. I don't know if you read this story, but they had these red heifers were sent to America, from America to Israel with the idea that they would be used in the uh, Numbers, I think it's Numbers 16 or somewhere, uh, ritual to cleanse the high priest ready for temple worship in, in Jerusalem. So Hamas said they're, they're trying to rebuild the temple and re reinstitute temple worship, so we've got to go to war with them. They also noticed that there's been increased interest in rediscovering the Ark of the Covenant, which some say is buried underneath the, the Dome of the Rock in, on the Temple Mount. And so there's this sort of fear that the Jews want to rebuild the Temple, they want to do something in that area. And so Hamas and others are saying we have to go to war against them because of this. And you have this Islamist program, which is actually to remove... Israel, and has set up their kind of Islamic state in place of Israel. Now, it's a very dangerous situation because the war is spreading. It's already spread to the Houthis, who are in Yemen, who've been firing on ships going up the Red Sea, which is now affecting trade throughout the Red Sea and the Suez Canal. If it carries on, it's got the potential to bring a severe economic crisis if the shipping is stopped through the Suez Canal. And it could actually affect the economies of the world. Now, the US and UK have been drawn in. We bombed the Houthis. So it's spreading. You've got the conflict on the northern border. And behind all this, you've got Iran. Last week, Iran launched missiles into Iraq, Syria, and Pakistan. Another strange thing that they're doing. Iraq is also, Iran's also developing its nuclear bomb. And there's a possibility that US 
Israel alliance may attack, attack directly on Iran, which could then bring in Russia and the Gog and Magog war. So you have possibilities for this whole thing to spread. On the other hand, as far as Russia is concerned, Russia has a huge issue with Ukraine. It's entered its third year in the war with neither side making much progress. Uh, both have lost large numbers of troops and equipment. Ukraine is afraid that Russia, uh, the West is going to cut off its supply of weapons uh, as they lose interest in the war and Russia will then be able to claim a victory due to its superior numbers and weapons. Same time, Russia is in very bad state. Uh, I get some information from both inside Russia and from people who are monitoring the Russian situation on a website which I look at. There are some are saying that Russia is inevitably going to win because of its size and manpower, but that's not necessarily the case. Russia's economy is in very dire straits at the present time. 40% of its economy is being paid out on the war. Large numbers of Russians have been killed or maimed in the war. Over a million Russians who are mainly the intelligent and qualified young people have fled because they don't want to be drafted into the war and gone abroad. Um, sanctions have had an effect on its ability to produce goods. Apart from producing war material industries at a standstill, villages and towns in Russia are in decline, some without basic amenities. The recent bout of very cold weather in Russia caused pipes to burst and heating stations to fail, and they haven't been able to repair them. Uh, Russia's third city, Novosibirsk, spent some time with no heating at all, and it goes down to minus 30 in that place. Uh, and while Russia is spending insane amounts of, war, of money on a useless war in the Ukraine, it can't fix and won't fix the pipes, leaving millions without heat. And there have been statements from Russians saying that from Kaliningrad, that's in the far west of Russia, through to Vladivostok, <coughs> we're freezing to death. How much longer this can go on, I don't know. But one has to say that Russia's ability to wage this great war against us all is not so great. Uh, also, according to this report, one in three doesn't have enough money to buy anything apart from basic food. One in ten doesn't have enough money for food. Large numbers of people are hooked on vodka, alcoholic. Many of them die by the age of 35. Uh, some join the army because it's the only way to get a decent wage, though you might not get it and you might get killed before you get it. Conditions for soldiers are atrocious and some in the army are on the verge of mutiny. Which raises a question in my mind, how are they going to make a great army to come down to Gog and Magog, Ezekiel 38. Um, I haven't got an answer to that one yet. But one has to say that it's not all going well for Russia, for sure. Uh, Putin's been boasting about his alliance with China, but even that's not in such good shape at the present time. China doesn't like to back a loser. It likes a winner. And it's not too pleased with what's happening in Ukraine. Um, China is also taking more influence in the Soviet far, Russian Far East, and Russia risks losing its influence in its eastern provinces to China. Um, we've had a lot of stuff about China going to war with Taiwan, going to war over Taiwan. That could be another field of war. But China itself is not in a good state either. Its economy is doing very badly. There's been a run on the stock exchange. Its young people and graduates have no jobs. People in government are not being paid. And China relies on the US and Europe for wealth, so if it brings down the US and Europe, it's going to lose a whole lot of money as well. 
So what's happening? Is it going to lead to war or is it going to be a comeback, fallback? I don't know. I'm not a prophet, by the way. I just look at events and I also look at what it says in the Bible and see how we can bring it all together. Obviously, in the Middle East, there's a real threat, especially from Iran, which could lead to a major war. And if it comes to the point where Israel and America attack Iran, then we've got uncharted waters. Uh, on the other hand, if Israel succeeds in neutralizing Hamas and Iran and Hezbollah are weakened without war coming, also if Israel manages to set up its laser shield defense system, which I've told you about before, it's working on, which can take out missiles as they're coming in without needing the Iron Dome. It could be that out of this there will be a, a push towards a peace process. And you've got the UN, the US, the EU already working on a peace in the Middle East, working for the two-state solution. As far as Ukraine is concerned, if Russia doesn't reach its aim and starts to weaken, or if Putin dies or is removed and there's some crisis within Russia, you could see that some big change could take place there. And that Ukraine could end up in a better place, joining the Western Alliance. Now, I say I'm not a prophet, so I'm not telling you which way it's going to go. But there's just a couple of interesting scriptures which I've come across. One of them is in Daniel chapter 10. Uh, Daniel chapter 10 speaks about the little horn who is the Antichrist. It says that he grew exceedingly great towards the south, towards the east, and towards the glorious land. And it grew up to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the host and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. Uh, so what is this uh, little horn? The little horn uh, speaks on one level of Antiochus Epiphanes, who in the story in, uh, um, of the Maccabees oppressed Israel and was defeated by the Lord, raising up the Maccabees. On the other level, it speaks about the Antichrist, the little horn. It speaks about him extending his empire eastwards and southwards. It just occurred to me that could it be that this is speaking about the Western alliance, out of which I believe the Antichrist will come, extending its influence eastwards towards Ukraine. I'm not sure. I'm not making that as a prophecy, but it's an interesting point. And it also says it's moving towards the glorious land, which is Israel. Which ties up with the verse in, in Daniel, chapter 9, which implies that there will come some kind of a peace agreement over Israel. Daniel 9.26, it says, After the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. That's speaking about the death and resurrection of Jesus, by the way. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. That's speaking about the destruction of Jerusalem 40 years after the resurrection of Jesus. The end shall be with the flood, till the end of the war desolations are determined. Then he, that's the prince to come, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Now, according to my understanding of this, there is a gap between verse 26 and verse 27, a long period of time. And verse 27 is actually taking it up again when Israel's back in the land, and he, the prince to come, who is the Antichrist, makes a covenant for seven years. On the basis of this and of a passage also in the book of Isaiah, chapter 28, there are uh, people who say that although all the signs in the Middle East you could say today are pointing towards war and destruction, somewhere into this there has to come some kind of a peace settlement. 
And the question is, could that come about out of all this? If it does come, then it'll be a temporary one and it won't last. Remember we said that the time of the tribulation is seven years. Some say that the signing of this Pete agreement actually is the beginning of the seven-year period and that halfway through it, it's broken uh, and then the Antichrist breaks the covenant and you have the abomination of desolation and the consummation, which is the end, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. So that prophecy, which is... uh, I have to say a very interesting one and quite a difficult one. It speaks about a time when at some future time there's going to be someone who'll come in and bring a peace agreement to Israel. Peace and safety. When they say peace and safety, it's all going to be hunky-dory. No. When they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come because it's a false peace. But I think that there is a strong possibility that even though we see war on all sides, there are also forces which are kind of telling the people behind the wars, actually, hang back. If you go to this war, it's going to destroy you, as well as destroying your enemies, and which will then cause people to move for some kind of a peace agreement. I'm not saying that as a prophecy, but watch this space in the coming few months. Whatever happens, God is going to keep his hand upon Israel, preserve Israel as a people, but there will be a time of trouble, because this peace agreement will not bring peace, it will bring Halfway through, it'll be broken and lead to the time of Jacob's trouble, which will lead to the second coming of Jesus. The alternative to this is that we do go straight into the war of Gog and Magog, which you read about in Ezekiel 38, in which Russia, Persia, and probably Turkey lead a coalition which comes against Israel in the latter days. That's still a possibility, but I think that because of certain things which have happened, it's not such an immediate possibility. It'll probably happen later on. When that does happen, God's going to intervene to save Israel. And possibly the peace plan comes after it. But these things are obviously in the hands of God, and there are greater forces than I understand and that you understand, which are working behind it all. But it is possible that although the signs are for war, it could end up with some kind of a peace settlement which will temporarily hold it back and prepare for the final war, which will bring back Jesus, the Messiah. Meanwhile, Western-based globalists, that's our lot, are working on their global plan. Uh, I don't know if you know, but this month they have the Davos Conference of the World Economic Forum. Anybody follow what happened there? No? Okay, well, I'll tell you a few things. Uh, Davos is committed to improving the state of the world. That's good, isn't it? So they're working for your benefit, working to make the world a better place. Uh, Back in... 2020, I wrote in the last days about a plan by the World Economic Forum to use crises like the COVID pandemic and the climate change issue to push for a transformation of global society through some form of, quote, effective global governance. Today, the World Economic Forum brings together leaders of government, industry, banking, healthcare, education to work with the UN and other global organizations on the transformation of global society towards some kind of global government program. You've heard of the Great Reset, that's their plan. Maybe you've heard of UN Agenda 30. All of these things are world government plans to try and take control of the world and stop it from blowing itself up, which is a good agenda. But unfortunately, when it comes to pass, it ends up with control 
via sort of database ID system and new forms of currency, and state control, ultimately with the aim of overruling or controlling elected governments to bring in their program, to bring people into submission to their agenda. So they had their conference this week, last week. Fundamentally, it was anti-Christian, evidenced by a pagan ritual which carried out for the healing of the planet at its climate and nature session. Actually, was this lady dancing before the uh, people there? The uh, person who was introducing her, called Gim Huai No, closed the discussion by inviting a very special guest, Chief Test Putani Yawanawa of Brazil's Yawanawa tribe, whose cultural and spiritual identities let them protect and steward the lands over thousands of years. We know that in order to, for us to look forward and build this future, we also need to look back and harness the wisdom of our ancestors. So this lady, Chiefess Putani, performed some very strange ritual in front of all these high-up people, including major world leaders, um, saying that she represented, quote, the voice of all forest people, the voice of the forest. She then asked the crowd of elite secularists to hold hands and unite our hearts, unite our thoughts in the same direction for healing of the planet. And the healing is spiritual. She then rubbed her hands together, chanted an incantation, and proceeded to breathe on their foreheads and lay her hands on the foreheads of all these world leaders. And she went from one to one, blowing on them, laying hands on them, imparting some kind of a, don't know what, some kind of a global New World Order spiritualist uh, power upon them. And the secular elites there didn't quite know how to react, but they clapped her and broke out into applause. Uh, if you watched it, they were summoning up occult powers. Uh, behind which are demons, in order to reach their power, reach their goals. They didn't call on the name of God, certainly not on the name of Jesus Christ, but they called on the name of the occult and the demonic powers. That tells you something about where it's coming from and where it's going to. So, they also reveal they want to take a digital ID to track your whole life. Um, lady called Queen Maxima, who's Queen of the Netherlands, actually, her grandfather was Prince Bernard, who's the co-founder of the Bilderberg Group, another globalist organization. He urged governments to adopt a ubiquitous ID card that is digital and biometric. Such an ID can not only provide surveillance over the financial industry, but it said it's good for surveying people, good for school enrollment, good for see who actually got the vaccine, as well as facilitating the redistribution of wealth to see that welfare recipients and other favored classes get your substitutes subsidies from the government. Also aim for an ID system to measure people's carbon footprint, to monitor where they're traveling, how they're traveling, what they're eating, what they're consuming. Of course, if an individual can measure his carbon footprint, so can the government, then they can micromanage individuals' lives. They also plan for a global tax to meet net zero targets. They also want efforts to social media companies to yield to world government censorship. Probably you can't read that. That's an ATM machine which says, you didn't agree with the authorised official version of the truth, so your access to funds has been denied. Please call this number to find out how you can improve your social credit score. 
Now, that's, a, that's not a real thing. That's a spoof sort of makeup. But that's actually what they're saying. They want to have some kind of way in which you can have a card, and then if you don't conform, and if you're somehow not on the right wavelength, they can cancel your card and you can't buy and sell. Does that sound a bit civilian? And they want to be able to also to control what you can say in public on social media, suppress anything that doesn't conform to their narrative. They want to use artificial intelligence, ways of suppressing wrong views being put out in the public space. They want to call will be called disinformation and cut out. Do you think what I'm giving you now is disinformation? From their point of view, yes. They want to cut it out. And increasingly, they can use AI algorithms to trawl through the net and to find out what people are saying and if they say the wrong things to censor them and cut them out. And if you work in public life and you say the wrong thing, you can find yourself out of a job. So there's all kinds of pressures which are being put on people to control not just your buying and selling, but uh, what you think and what you say. Now, one of the things they really want to rein in is Donald Trump. Now, I don't know what you think about Donald Trump. I have to say he's not my favorite man. Nevertheless, some of the things she says are right. And because of this, they want to cut him out. Uh, former President Trump vowed this month he'd never allow the creation of a central bank digital currencies, or CBDCs. He said such a currency would give the federal government absolute control of your money, a proposition he called a tool of government tyranny and a dangerous threat to freedom. Is he right or wrong in that? And he's right. The ultimate nightmare for the 2024 World Economic Forum actually turned out to be the possibility that Donald Trump will defeat Joe Biden this November in the American election. If he does, it'll throw a huge spanner into the works of what they want to do. Now, you don't get a chance to vote for Trump anyway, but, I mean, it's kind of interesting that they see him as the bogeyman who's going to stall the, the process. He's the ultimate wrong leader. Um, they're also concerned about the problem of right-wing parties doing well in the coming elections for the European Parliament and putting a break on plans to increase the New Green Deal and the Net Zero Agenda for Europe. So from the World Economic Forum view, Trump is the ultimate wrong leader. They've discussed what steps they could be taken to prevent him using his power as president if elected. One reason is because he opposes the New Green Deal opposes digital currencies, ID systems. What can they do? Cause chaos in the election, assassinate him, election fraud? Or if elected, make it impossible for him to make any changes they don't want through checks and balances built into the system. I'm not going to read all this stuff, but if you analyse some of the things which they say, they say they've already got some checks and balances in place in the US governmental system which would make it difficult for Trump to put into place the things he wants to do. Um, John Kerry, who's the climate envoy, who's a big on the Green Deal, he said that no president would be able to stop the green agenda favoured by the WEF due to public-private partnerships and government incentives. I don't want this, obviously, but if you wound up with a different president who is opposed to climate crisis, I've got news for you. No politician anywhere in the world can undo what is happening now, boasted Terry. In other words, no matter what he tries to do, they can have ways in which they stop him from doing it. They can overrule elected governments. Now, whatever you think about Trump, that's actually quite disturbing. <laughs> because it means that 
you can vote for somebody, but if he goes against what the World Economic Forum and the powers that be want, they're going to find ways to stop him, either from getting into power in the first place or being able to do anything once he's in power. Okay, a few other things. They want to push the green agenda and to push the World, Economic, the World Health Organization and the lockdowns. Davos made it clear that the public health measures will play a role in their plans despite some of the most prominent considerations proving counterproductive. World Health Organization Secretary General Tedros refused to answer Canadian journalist Andrew Lawton's questions about whether he would reject lockdowns as a public health measure for future pandemics. During COVID-19, uh, Tedros uh, implied lockdowns did not go far enough. Physically distancing restrictions are only part of the equation. He said early case finding, testing, isolating, caring for every case and tracing every contact is essential. He's proposing a massive expansion of the authority of the World Health Organization <coughs> through a global pandemic treaty, which can overrule in some cases national governments again. So they can transfer power to this central organization and tell the government what to do. Uh, <clears throat> also, he has controversial guidelines to expand abortion and transgenderism. Uh, now, the World Economic Forum meeting in Davos held a meeting on disease X. You heard about this one? It's a mysterious contagion which, according to them, will kill 20 times more people than COVID. The only way to stop this spread of this mystery contagion would be the rapid dis uh, development of a new vaccine. In the website Prepare and Prevent, the UN states the faster an effective vaccine is developed and deployed, the faster an incipient pandemic can be contained and controlled. Aspiration of the Coalition for Endemic Preparations is for the world to be able to respond to the next disease X with a new vaccine in just 100 days. So they're working on a vaccine for a disease that they don't know what it is yet. <laughs> Strange. And apparently this disease, which they don't know what it is, is going to kill 20 times more people than COVID did. Or than the vaccine for COVID did. But that's no point. Was COVID a trial run to see how far they could go in gaining control over the population? If they're planning another such disease, this may control, be used to control people. Another issue which came up at Davos was echocide. You heard of what echocide is? Uh, this term has been used to recognize environmental destruction as an act of war which would be punished under international law. Okay, now there is a real issue about environmental destruction. It's not good that we are filling the oceans with plastic and that we're burning down trees and that we're wiping out species and uh, all this kind of stuff. It's not good that we're overfishing and some of the things which are taking place as the environment firm are definitely serious matters which need to be dealt with. But there is a sinister side to this because part of what they want to do is to make war on agriculture. Uh, John Kerry, uh, who's the climate czar for America, says that 30% of greenhouse gases are released through agriculture. Therefore, you need to cut back on agriculture. Yeah, well. And you have what they call the Green New Deal. Now, this is really beginning to hit in Europe creating reaction and protests from farmers in Germany, in Netherlands, France, and across Europe. And some of them see it as a plan to drive farmers out of business. 
is something called the EU Farm Support Strategy, which is, seems to be a strategy to destroy farms. And it's creating these kind of demonstrations right across Europe, where farmers are blockading motorways and uh, protesting about what's happening. Part of what they want to do is to have 10% of farmland taken out of use for what they call rewilding. So it's not used for farming, it just goes back to being wild areas. 50% is what they call chemical, chemical plant protection, which means restrictions on the use of fertilizers, which if it put into plan will reduce food production. I don't know if you follow the news, but a couple of years ago they put this into practice in Sri Lanka and it caused an economic crisis and a lack of food being produced there. 25% of land should be used for organic farming. Now, organic farming may be very good for nature and so on, but it produces only about half the harvest for twice the space used. So if it's put into practice, if these things are put into practice, then you can have a dramatic reduction in the amount of food which is being produced. Is that a good idea? Well, it's a good idea if you want to cut down the population and also if you want to control people. Because once you have a food shortage, then you can say that the only way you're going to get food if you submit to us and you can bring in, use your cards and all that stuff to get people to submit and to make sure they're in the right place. Well, there's a growing popular uprising against it, uh, which is fueling some far-right political parties, particularly in Germany. Uh, which in itself could be dangerous, but also they're seeing that the real threat is coming from this globalist world order plan, which is, if it goes to its fullness, is going to bring down Western civilization. Uh, <coughs> Germany itself is actually in big trouble at the moment. Its industrial base is going down because of green policies. Uh, Germany, the economic driver of the Eurozone, now switched off its nuclear plants, relying on green energy, but it doesn't have nearly enough. Now has to get electricity from nuclear plants in France, reducing its car industry. And we see here also we're shutting down steel industry because it uses coal for heating blast furnaces. The electric furnaces are being put into Port Talbot, which will lose a lot of jobs and make it much less productive in terms of producing steel. So you have to import steel from China and India who use coal to make steel, and then having used coal to make steel, you have to ship it around the world in order to get it here, which would be great for the environment. But that's how it works. All these things, including, one has to say, mass immigration from third world countries to make up for the population amongst the European nations, is actually going to lead to the decline and fall of European civilization. I'm not saying that to be racist or be against immigration, but I'm just saying that if you have huge numbers of people coming in from other cultures, especially from Muslim cultures, which don't agree with your way of life, you're actually bringing in a recipe for the destruction of your society. And that's what they're working on. And it will end up with the replacement of a new form of tyranny in which elected governments will be overruled or controlled and an unelected elite that imposes its form of government upon us which if you follow through to Revelation 13 will lead to the Antichrist system. Okay, so what's the church doing about it? Most of the church, one has to say, is totally impotent in unbelief. Most of them reject the prophetic element of the Bible, mostly also rejecting the Bible, Bible itself and rejecting the gospel. Whether it's the Church of England, the Pope, the Methodists, 
and they end up actually in line in agreement with the anti-Christian establishment. They want to suppress the real church, which I would venture to suggest is people like us, who are generally dissenting from whole, this whole agenda. Now, at the moment, you're not able to, they're not able to do so totally, but the powers of darkness are working on it, making it difficult for Christians to give public witness, speak up for biblical values in the public sector. You may lose your job if you do, especially if you criticise the LGBT agenda. Difficulties in open-air preaching, difficulties in spreading the gospel, censoring internet sites, creating a youth which has got an anti-Christian mindset through propaganda, indoctrination in the education system. And you've got a huge liberal compromise at the top of the Anglican and Catholic and Methodist churches. Uh, latest issue I put up here on the board is about... Uh, an Anglican evangelical mission body called the Church Pastoral Aid Society. I don't know if you've heard of CPAS. Ralph has. Some of you have. Uh, it's a body which uh, was founded with, quote, the conviction that a primary calling of local churches is to enable those who are far from Christ to be reconciled to him, and the CPAS should help resource churches to do that end, <coughs> which is a thoroughly good uh, aim, isn't it? To resource churches to be able to reach the unbelievers in your neighborhood. They've been doing this with considerable success for the last 200 years. Countless lives have been impacted by the work of CPAS within and with local churches. Unfortunately, today they are the latest casualty in the war against the Bible being mounted by progressive Christians. CPAS aroused the wrath of Anglican progressives when they aligned with the Evangelical Alliance statement on human sexuality which said, quote, we welcome and support the work of those individuals and organizations who responsibly seek to help Christians who experience same-sex attraction as in conflict with their commitment to live in accordance with biblical teaching. In other words, we should help homosexuals to quit same-sex attraction and live in accordance with Bible teaching. Do you agree with that? Yes. You don't have to do it with cruelty and with uh, whatever they call it. What are they, what's the word they use? Compersion therapy. Compersion therapy. That's the fellow, yeah. But even this simple statement, which is not terribly offensive, I wouldn't think, to anybody, caused gasps of horror from the ecclesiastical elites who uh, clutched their pearls at the thought of evangelical Christians having the temerity to adhere to biblical doctrines. Reverend Colin C. Coward, good name, C of E priest and director of Changing Attitude. <laughs> Sorry, that was a bit cruel, wasn't it? Uh, commenting in Thinking Anglicans write, quote, Friends in CPAS, your biblical theology is homophobic and prejudiced and abusive of LGBTQIA plus people in the church and society. Listen to this one. I do not recognize your theology as Christian, Biblical may be, but not Christian. Not all biblical theology is Christian. Can you get the point of that? So not all biblical theology is Christian. That's actually the nub of the matter, isn't it? These woke ecclesiastics want a theology which countenances the word of God only when his word agrees with what they want anyway. If scripture disagrees, it has to be dismissed 
When they say that evangelicals are a threat to the church, what they really mean is that evangelicals are a threat to the ecclesiastical elite's self-regarding rule of the church and their imposition of a modern non-biblical ideology into the theology of the true church. Unfortunately, that's happening, and it's happening big time in the Anglican church, even happening in the Roman Catholic Church, although the Roman Catholic Church is off base on so many things, the Pope has actually gone full into the woke agenda now. And it's happening in the Methodist Church. Methodists have told their ministers that using the words husband and wife is hurtful. So the church's ideology comes from the worldwide agenda to promote LGBT lifestyle choices. Port from the Western Journal explained that the church is telling ministers and parishioners to avoid certain words on the basis that their usage makes assumptions about one's family life. Explained about the infinite variety of, in the way that God's creation is expressed in human life. So terminology such as husband and wife may sound inoffensive, but it makes assumptions about a family or personal life that is not the reality for many people. The report noted other terms such as brothers and sisters are also unacceptable on the grounds that it doesn't take into account our non-binary friends. Going full into the woke ideology being promoted by leftists, the church said you might consider using siblings, friends, or children of God instead. Similarly, using he or she could be exclusive. They is also accurate and acceptable. The statement explained the church organization was to recognize the harm that has been done to marginalized groups by the church and make amends. I don't think you're impressed by that. Calvin Robinson, who's been outspoken in fighting progressivism in the Church of England, blasted the UK Methodist Church for its guidance and suggested it's symptomatic of a neo-Marxist attempt to effectively destroy it. This is not Christianity, Robinson wrote. Its critical theories smash heteronormativity. It's no longer enough to acknowledge disordered lifestyles. Everything normative and ordered must be demolished for fear of causing offence. In other words, normal family life, one man, one woman, committed to each other, looking after their children. That's not kosher anymore. This is a sign of a church which is not just in decline, but which is heading for the rocks and is about to sink. He concludes, critical theories is neo-Marxism. It's a communist ideology antithetical to Christian faith. It's not possible to be a communist and a Christian. One must make a choice, embrace the ways of this trendy yet toxic ideology, or embrace God's order. Well, it's all about the church abandoning the gospel and abandoning the Bible. So what's the answer? Well, go back to the Bible. I want to end with a word from John 14. I said I'll read through the Bible, chapter from the Old Testament, chapter from the New Testament. My chapter yesterday from the New Testament was John chapter 14. And it just struck me how relevant this is. Jesus says to the disciples, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. The disciples had a reason to be troubled. Jesus was going away. 
They were going to be left on their own. How are they going to cope without Jesus being there? And for us, we have reasons to be troubled. There's trouble everywhere in the world. But Jesus tells us not to be troubled. He says, don't be troubled. Look up. Your redemption's drawing near. Look to me. I'm there. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Reminds us that we have a glorious future in him. My father's house and many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. So God's got a place for you and for me. Even for little you and for little me. No matter how insignificant you may think you are, we are important to God enough for him to prepare a place for you. And he says there's going to be a mansion. In the NIV it says there are many rooms. There was one of the old gentlemen who used to run Bridge Lane way back in the past, Mr. Libbetter. He objected to the, US, the NIV version there. He said, I'm not going to have a room, a bedsit in heaven. I'm going to have a mansion. <laughs> and whatever it is, it's going to be good. <laughs> Most important thing is going to be where God is, where we are. We have a place to be with him. And he's never going to leave us or forsake us. And there's only one way to get there. There's trouble everywhere in the world. How are we going to get out of it? People have all their kinds of gurus and messiahs and saviors, but there's only one who's going to actually going to get you there. Just like there's only one way into the ark through the door, and there's only one place to be safe in the time of Noah, which was to go into that ark. So there's one way to be safe in our time, that's to believe in Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, the one who's given us eternal life through dying for our sins and rising from the dead to give eternal life. And that's the only basis for hope. Hope for the future. Some people say that people like me are trying to scare people into the kingdom by telling them all the bad news, then they'll turn to Jesus out of fear. Actually, it's the other way around. I'm telling you the good news, so that you don't have to be afraid of all the bad stuff going on because there's a hope in Jesus the Messiah. We're trying to tell people how they can believe and have eternal life. Now, most people try and hide away from it. They try and hide away from the news, actually. Most people don't want to know what's going on in the world because it's too disturbing. But whether they want to know or not, it's, it's happening and it's going to happen. And there's come a time where they won't be able to escape. That's why it's good now to make sure that you're right with God. To be ready for the coming of the Lord. And you have a wonderful future ahead of you. There's a day coming when Jesus is going to come and take you to be with himself. I believe this passage actually is speaking about the rapture of the church, of the event of 1 Thessalonians, when the Lord will come and take those that believe in him, be with him, to meet him in the air. And we're going to be changed like unto his glorious body and have a new body which will never get old and never get sick and never die. Amen. Going to be with him forever. And there's a glorious future to all those who believe in Jesus. And that's only the beginning. We're going to be with him when he comes back to the earth and reigns on the earth during the millennial kingdom, ruling for a thousand years and putting right all the mess which humans have made of the planet. I'm really looking forward to that. I'd like to see the world run properly, wouldn't you? I'd like to see the government upon his shoulder and see people living in harmony, in righteousness, in harmony with the earth, not defining it, uh, but also living in plenty. And it says there'll be even corn waving on the top of the mountains, so there's going to be plenty of food and plenty of peace and love as nations beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks and don't study war anymore. And that's only the beginning because after that the earth is going to be burned up and God's going to create a new heavens and a new earth in which there's righteousness where we'll be with him forever. So in the end, there are many reasons why, however bad the news may be, we don't need to be troubled because we have a great hope in Jesus. I hope you have that hope. If you don't, 
be happy to pray with you afterwards. Or if you're listening online, then let us know and we can help you to find faith and peace with God through Jesus Christ. We can know now that God is with us, that he'll keep us through the trials of this world, and he'll never leave us or forsake us. So when you see these things beginning to happen, and they're happening now, don't panic, but look up, lift up your heads, because your redemption draws near. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's just have a word of prayer, and I'll hand back to Andy. Lord, we do thank you that we do have a great hope in Jesus. Pray that everyone listening to me, whether in this place or online, will have that living hope in the Messiah, and will know that whatever happens in the world around us, we have a future and a hope, and that we have a place prepared for us by you, where we will be with you forever. And we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.